Thanks so much for praying for us, Peter, and it's good to be together. Again, if you have your Bible, please do open with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 6, where we have this little diamond in the midst of the book of Numbers, tucked away here in the midst of this book, there lies one of the most beautiful prayers in the Old Testament. This prayer that we're looking at this evening is known as the Aaronic Blessing. Not ironic, as I thought, uh, until I was about 11 years old. I often wondered, why is this so ironic, this blessing? It's the Aaronic, because God gave it to Moses' brother Aaron and the priests, uh, Aaron's sons and descendants. This is a short, beautifully crafted a uh, little prayer. Each line in Hebrews gets uh, a little longer. When you take out the divine name, the Lord, there are actually 12 words that make up this little prayer, probably signifying that this blessing is for the 12 tribes of Israel, the whole of the people of God. And as well as being beautifully crafted and short, it is packed with relevance for each of us. And I say that because it is a little prayer that addresses a deep need that each of us shares, and that is the need for a sense of well-being, blessing, peace, a sense of wholeness within, summarized in that wonderful full Hebrew word, shalom. You see, though we're all different in many ways this evening. This is the one thing we all share in common without exception. We all want to be happy. We all want to have that sense of well-being. And whether you know it yourself or not, this desire, this sense of well-being drives your life. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal and his pensées said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. We all seek happiness. And in light of these realities and deep longings and desires, the question that we must attend to as humans throughout life is this, where is this true happiness that I long for to be found? Where do I turn to? Where do I look to to find this sense of well-being? Is it found in financial security? No money worries. Does that sort out all our problems? Is this sense of well-being found in having the perfect career? Maybe the dream relationship? Success? Fame? Being well thought of by others? Well, all these things, as we know, can be good and can actually be helpful, but they can also at times create insecurities. They can cause stress and strain. Well, this little passage tucked away in the book of Numbers is here to invite us to keep looking to God to find the satisfaction for our deepest longings. For this little passage teaches us that all true blessing 
All true well-being is found ultimately in him. As the church father, St. Augustine, discovered after searching for happiness and well-being in all the wrong places, he said, Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is something we need to hear again this evening. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, whether you know it or not, you are searching for a deep sense of well-being. You want to be happy. Where are you looking for that happiness in? Where are you looking to or who are you looking to to give you it? Well, this passage is here to teach us that all true blessing, all true rest is found in a right relationship with God. But you might be here this evening and you're a Christian. We can so easily forget that our deep sense of well-being is found in God. We can understand that our deepest need of forgiveness of sin, our salvation is found in the Lord, but then functionally, day by day, we can actually forget that that our our deepest sense of well-being comes from the Lord alone. So we're going to work down through this prayer of blessing in three steps. First, we're going to look at how it speaks to us of where the source of all blessing is to be found. Second, we're going to look at what it teaches us about the substance of true blessing. And then third, we're going to look at what I'm going to call the signature of true blessing. It gives me a third S for my outline, but it actually works because right at the end of this prayer in verse 27, the Lord says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This prayer is like God signing his name on his people, my blessed children. It's beautiful. So first, let's look at the source of true blessing. One of the most prominent features of this little prayer is the repetition of God's personal name, Yahweh, which here and around 6,000 times in the Old Testament is represented by the word LORD in capital letters. Verse 22, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. Verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Now, grammatically, the appearance of the Lord once would have sufficed. (laughs) It would have accomplished the purpose, but the repetition of the divine name is here to tell us something. We remember when this name is repeated that this is the name of God, the personal name for God, revealed to Moses at the burning bush, where God said, I am who I am. That name that God revealed to Moses, summarized and encapsulated in this word that we use in English, the Lord in capital letters, it communicates to us that God is self-existing, self-defining. He does not depend on anyone for anything. He's the source of all life, all energy, all blessing. God's name is repeated as it is in this prayer to emphasize that he is the source and the focus of all blessing in life. A few years back, I remember watching one of the Top Gear specials. I used to really enjoy looking at those when um, 
Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard Hammond would all um, go off on crazy adventures in, in random cars. And there was one of them that um, a while ago I saw, and it was called A Race to the Source of the Nile. And these three men went off in really banged up second-hand cars, driving across Africa to see if they could find the source of the River Nile. Eventually, they all raced, uh, and uh, I think it was James May who got there first. And when they arrived, there was this little, very small little pool of water, but they claimed that this was where the Nile actually started. And it's fascinating because whenever they came to that little pool, they, they took up some of the water and sort of poured it out, and they said, think about it. This is the root of civilization that nourished the ancient Egyptians. This in turn nourished so many others. This water is the lifeblood of civilization. And they were reflecting on the fact that the Nile, the mighty Nile, sustained so much of ancient civilization in that part of northeast Africa and all around it. But they had traced the Nile right back up to its source, and they said, here is the root of it all. Well, this prayer and the repetition of the divine name is here to remind us as we trace every blessing we enjoy to its source, every single blessing, every road leads back to the Lord, to God himself. Now, this might sound obvious to us that our God is the source of all blessing, but I think we have to check ourselves because so often we can live as if this is not true. We know as Christians that we're called to look to the Lord for our deepest need of salvation, forgiveness of sin, etc. But as I said in the introduction, sometimes we can fail to look to the Lord for our sense of well-being in our day-to-day -day lives. In Jeremiah 2.13, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, and he challenged his people because they were not looking to him as a source and fountain of all of their blessings. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and ask, are there ways you might be doing this in your own life at the moment? Instead of looking to God for your sense of well-being, you're turning to other things, perhaps material things, or success, or that dream relationship you'd love to have. It's so easy for us to turn from the Lord as our source of all of our sense of well-being and actually to start looking to other things, broken cisterns that can't deliver. We can subtly do this in many ways when we look for things that only God can give us in perhaps, perhaps our spouse or our money or our careers. I think it's good for us to remember that our primary goal every day should be to seek the happiness of our souls in the Lord. Seek soul happiness in the Lord. This is a lesson that I learned years ago when I first read uh, the biography of George Muller, that uh, German man who founded the orphanages in England in the 19th century. 
George Muller speaks of how he discovered that his most important aim every day was to first get his soul happy in the Lord, to find his sense of well-being in his standing before God. And so I'm going to quote a little bit of Muller's biography and where he speaks of how he learned this lesson many years before he was writing. So Muller writes and says, while I was staying at Nailsworth, it pleased the Lord to teach me a truth. As far as I know, the benefit of which I have not lost, though now more than 40 years have since passed. The lesson was this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I think that's lovely. The first thing to be concerned about, continuing on with Muller, the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distress. I might, in other ways, seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world, and yet not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. And so Muller proceeds then in his biography to show how we get our soul into a state of happiness before the Lord through scripture meditation and prayer. It's lovely. He speaks of how he learned to pray on his knees with his Bible open and not to separate out prayer and Bible reading too much, but to pray scripture. But that principle is something that I want you to take away this evening. The Lord is the source of our sense of well-being. And so it can be a wonderful practice each day to say, Lord, as I begin this day, I want to look to you for that sense that all is well. All is well with my soul and with the things that are ahead of me in this day that make me a wee bit anxious. You're the one who gives me the sense that I can face it. The Lord is the source of all true blessing, and he invites us to find happiness of soul in him day by day. Something has struck me this week as I've read this little prayer of blessing. It's this, the Lord initiated this. Think about it. Look at verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. So God gives the priests a prayer, and he says, I want you to pray this over the people, and I'm going to work through that prayer to bless them. God initiates it because he wants to move in blessing upon his people. He wants his people to live in the goodness of his blessing. He wants Christians to live in a sense of the wellness they have of soul each day in him. He is the source of all true blessing. But secondly, as we look at the prayer a little more fully now, we see the substance of true blessing that is revealed through the text of this prayer. True blessing is to be found in the Lord, but we have to define what is blessing. What is it that this prayer is asking for in those words, may the Lord bless you and keep you? Because verse 24 there in that opening line, may the Lord bless you and keep you, it really stands as the heading over this prayer. 
And then verses 25 and 26 simply unpack and develop that main request, adding some beautiful concentric circle layers to the prayer. But what would the Israelites have thought about when they prayed for blessing? And the answer to this question can be summarized in four words. So here is the substance of blessing, or what is being asked when the request is made, may the Lord bless you, well, what's blessing? Number one, it speaks of provision. In the sort of nearest context where we can read of God speaking of what he means by blessing, Leviticus 26 God speaks of how he will bless his people as they walk in obedience to him. And here's how God defines what he means by blessing. I will give you your rains in their season. Clearly, we're a very blessed country here in Northern Ireland. And the land shall yield its increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest. The grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. You'll eat your bread to the full. I'll turn to you, make you fruitful, and multiply you. So clearly, when you think of this as a prayer for blessing, part of this blessing is that God would provide abundantly for his people. Today, prayer for temporal blessings like these, for rain and food and clothes and covering and financial well-being. These are not unholy requests. You can think that they are, but they're clearly not. They're scriptural requests. The Lord knows that we have needs. We need money. We need provisions. We need a place to live. We need clothes. We want to be well provided for so that we're not anxious about these things. It's good to ask for God to, as Jesus taught us, give us our daily bread. It's good also to pray for provision for our church family, that God would bless us, that He would provide month by month everything that's needed for us to continue to serve the Lord faithfully as we look at hoping to rebuild on our side. It's okay for us to pray that God would bless us and provide for us what is needed so that we will continue the work that He has called us to. May the Lord bless you. It certainly speaks of provision. But more than that, it also speaks of protection. May the Lord bless you and keep you. This blessing also speaks of God's protective care. In Leviticus 26, that's the same passage where God speaks of blessing. He goes on in verses 5 and 6 to say to the people who will live under his blessing, you shall eat your bread to the full and you shall dwell in in your land securely. I will give peace in your land. You shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I'll remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. Here is a mark of God's blessing peace, protection, a sense of security. Again, this is a good prayer for us to pray today for safety as we go into our day, 
for protection for God to keep us. When I was cycling yesterday in the triathlon, there was this last few kilometers where you were going downhill the whole way. And I must have been hitting, I think my wee speedo said 50 kilometers per hour, or I think it was per hour at one point. Is that right? I think that's right. And I was flying around these corners and I knew at the end it was he who dares wins. And I just thought, right, well, I'm just going to go for it. I was absolutely gone on it. But I remember in my mind, I was working, you see, on this prayer through the week. And I was saying, Lord, bless me, keep me, bless me, keep me. Powering along on the bike. Thankfully, I was blessed and kept. It's a good prayer to pray that God would bless us and keep us. Don't be afraid to pray this for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren. It's not just a prayer for physical protection, but also for spiritual protection protection. May the Lord keep us. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us, Father, not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Bless us. Provide for us. Keep us. Protect us. Thirdly, this blessing, the Israelites would have understood it also to mean more than just temporal provision and protection. It also speaks of knowing God's presence. In verse 25, the request is made that the Lord would make his face to shine upon us. And in verse 26, that he would lift up his countenance upon us. God's face and countenance speaks of his presence. His smiling face speaks of his presence and pleasure towards us. But there are other places in Scripture where we read of God hiding his face. It's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's a picture. In Micah chapter 3, verse 4, for example, we read, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. So God's face being turned away or hidden speaks of his displeasure towards his people, his lack of smiling upon them, his lack of help, uh, um, permitting people to experience his loving and, and gracious presence because of sin. But when, conversely, we read of him shining his face upon us or his face and countenance being lifted up towards us, it speaks of his smile shining towards us. It speaks of a sense of God's warmth, the warmth of his loving presence shining upon us like the warmth of the sun on a summer's day. You see, as good and important as provision and protection are, what we all need above all to nourish us and give us a sense of well-being is we need to know the pleasure and the presence of God in our lives. We need to know the nearness of God that we were created to know. We need to experience deep security in a right relationship with God, for that is what we were created to know and experience and find security and comfort and that sense of well-being within from. We were supposed to know that from a right relationship with God. And so many places in Scripture we read of the saints longing to know more of the nearness and intimacy of God's loving presence in their lives. One of perhaps the highest places where we read of this in scriptures is in the Psalms. And one of the highest Psalms is Psalm 63, where the psalmist writes, O God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. 
because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips, my lips will praise you. That's someone going after God. I want to know his presence, to know the love of God, the, the pleasure of God, the smile of his face upon me that satisfies more than anything else. Let me just ask you in passing, do you pursue the presence of God in your life? Do you want to know God more? Not just mentally know stuff about God, not just be a morally good person. Do you want to know and experience experientially in your life? Do you want to know the presence of God? Well, I encourage you if you struggle with that or you sort of say, I've got a hunger for a hunger, I've got a thirst for a thirst for God, but I know I need more, give yourself to reading the Psalms afresh, maybe even this summer. Just say a summer in the Psalms, two months, just going to read through all 150 Psalms and I'm going to ask God to help me to, to pursue his presence more and more. This involves sometimes just sitting prayerfully in his presence and asking him to make known to you more fully his fatherly love in the Spirit. Remember, God initiates this prayer. Our good Father wants us to know his love and blessing. He's ready to lift up his face towards us in Christ, but are you ready to turn your face towards him and to ask him to give you a deep sense of his smile upon you? Maybe you could take this prayer into this week and pray it each morning asking God to help your soul be happy in the knowledge of his smile. But the first thing we must know is, how do we know that his smile's upon us? <laughs> the first thing we must ask is, how do we know and make sure that God is smiling towards us and is not frowning upon us? Well, how can we know that God's face, is po his posture towards us is one of pleasure, one of happiness, one of delight, solely through the accomplishments of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ? Through Jesus' priestly act of his atoning death, he paid the debt for our sins so that all the displeasure of God would be removed from us. He took the curse that we were under because of our sin off of us through his death so that we can sit under God's blessing. The Father wants us to live in the goodness of his smiling face, but we can only know the goodness of his smiling face because of what Jesus has done. You see, this prayer is on a beautiful trajectory. God gives it to the priests in the Old Testament and say, here's how my blessing will come, mediated through the priests to the people. They will pray for blessing and the people will experience blessing. Well, this is on a trajectory that leads us all the way to Jesus, our great high priest. The father says, my son, you will secure the blessing. Through you, my blessing will be mediated to my people. And so we can know God's blessing, his smile, because of our true great high priest, Jesus Christ. And you can get your soul happy every day in the Lord by just preaching the gospel to yourself over and over again, knowing that today my guilt, my failures, my poor performance doesn't define me before God. My performance is based on Christ. Christ's performance has brought me under the smile of God, and today I can live the rest of my life knowing that I'm conducting my whole day in the context of grace, a father who's pleased with me because of his son. That means the world to us. So, blessing 
May the Lord bless us. The Israelites would have understood this to mean provision, protection, knowing God's presence to bless, smiling upon us. But the fourth thing that would have been meant by blessing most certainly was peace. This whole little blessing prayer really crescendos and rises into that last word of the blessing in verse 26. May he give you peace. When God blesses, that is, provides, protects, and makes known his presence, the result that we experience is peace. And this peace, this word for peace, is a very rich word in the Hebrew language. The whole prayer drives towards us. It's that Hebrew word, shalom. It means an absence of strife, conflict, an absence of stress, strain, and anxiety, but it also means so much more than this. It's not just negative, an absence of bad things. It is a positive word. It speaks of a positive sense of well-being. Shalom speaks of wholeness in every way, human flourishing, an abundant sense of security, a sense of all being well, and rest. That is what every single one of us in this room are longing for, and it is what every single human being in the history of civilization has longed for without exception. This unites every human being across every culture, every language group, every class, color, creed, race. Every single one of us, we were made to know shalom a sense of flourishing, all being well. Once again, it's important that we recognize that by nature, in this fallen world, we cannot know shalom. Our sin shatters our peace, as it did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember how they enjoyed that beautiful sense of all being well with God in Eden, depicted poetically with that they were naked and unashamed, secure, vulnerable, but sense of well-being. All was well. But then whenever they sinned and rebelled against God, what's the first first thing that happens? They hide and are ashamed because they feel insecure. They hide from each other. They hide from God. They cover. Adam says, I was afraid. And so in a fallen world, humans make their way through trying to find that sense of well-being in lots of different places. For example, primarily financial well-being. Financial security will give us a sense of peace. So we go to school, we go to uni, we work really hard, or we get jobs and don't go to uni. We work really hard so that we can, all that can be well. And whenever all the money's in the bank, all will be well. And humanity, the history of civilization, demonstrates that people turn to so many different places to find their sense of well-being. And yet God our Father tells us in Scripture that our sense of well-being is only known by the way He has provided for us to be restored from our sin-peace-shattered state. And that way that we can be restored is through the Father sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our peace. 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that means made right before God on the basis of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can know all the blessings of shalom from God. We can know this prayer as yes and amen for us when we trust in Christ. All of our blessings come to us through the accomplishments of Christ. So as Christians, we can take this ironic blessing in the Old Testament and we can pray it today in Christ and know that we will be blessed. That means provided for, protected. We will know the the smile of God's presence upon us, and we will enjoy His peace. Sometimes we have to battle for it. Sometimes we have to wrestle in prayer for it. But in Christ, we can pray a prayer like this and look to the Lord as the one who can give us that deep-needed sense of well-being within, even when the storms rage without So, that's the source of the prayer, the substance of the prayer. And finally, let's just consider briefly the signature of this prayer. Verse 27, we read these interesting words, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. In some way, this prayer that God was giving the priests to pray over the people, in some way when they would pray this prayer, it was like the Lord was putting his name on the people. What does that mean? Well, God was, in a sense, signing his name on the people, saying, they're mine. These are the people who belong to me, who live in a right relationship with me. Living under his blessing would mark out the saints of the Old Testament and mark out the saints of the New Testament now as God's set-apart people. Living under God's blessing would be a witness among the peoples so that they would look on and say, wow, there's no other nation that has a God like this God who gives good laws so that his people will flourish. In Deuteronomy 28.10, another passage about God's blessings, God said, all the peoples of the earth shall see that you're called by the name of the Lord when you walk in these blessings. And I find it quite striking when we fast forward to the New Testament, when we become Christians, we also go through a ceremony where God puts his name on us. And that is our baptism. It dramatizes what God did when he saved us. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is God's naming ceremony. We have been born again The name of Christ is on us. The signature of God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is written on us. We are Christ's. We are the Father's. We are the Spirit's. And so when we are baptized, God said, I want you to put my name on the people, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That marks you out as God's church in the world. Publicly, the people of God. Bearing witness before an onlooking world, we are the people of God living under the blessing of the divine name. In a world searching for that sense of well being, we are to bear witness and say, Here is where we know our well being. It is in a right relationship with our God, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And so we're called to bear the name as Christians. Like the Old Testament saints were to bear the name of God's covenant people, blessed with the blessing of Abraham. We are now the new covenant people, blessed with the blessing of Abraham, known for us who are Gentiles in Christ. We're called to bear the name and to wear it well this week among our families, among our friends, in our workplaces, on our holidays, whatever we are doing. So there are two ways in closing that we can wear the name well. First, by living in the goodness of this blessing that is yours in Christ, remembering that the source of all your sense of well-being, the source of all goodness, is found from the Father, through the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, if you haven't done this already, memorize this little prayer meditate on it, and then take it and expand on it in your own time. Say you're in your car or you're on a bike or whatever you're doing. Just walk around even and say, Lord, bless me and keep me. Blessing. What did, what did Steve say? It means, it means provision, protection, knowing your presence, knowing your peace. Just pray through all that. Pray it for yourself. And then say, Lord, keep me. What does that mean? That's, again, an emphasis on your protection, but keep me spiritually today. You can take this, memorize it, and use it as a little frame and just go off and expand on it and riff on it in so many little ways so that you will know how to pray this prayer of blessing that is yours in Christ. If you're not a believer this evening, this blessing can all be yours. Living under the blessing of God is here for you, but you can only know it if you put your hope in Jesus Christ and turn from your sin, and receive Jesus by faith, and have your sin taken away, and all the Father's displeasure against you taken away so that you can know His smile, know His presence, know His peace. You can receive Christ, receive this blessing this evening. So, however you are this evening, you can take this blessing, and it can be yours in Christ. Memorize it, take it, pray it as yours in Christ. But then second, in the New Testament, we are told that in Christ Jesus, we are all priests. <laughs> we all have the call to intercede for others. And so I think a very faithful and important way that we can respond to this prayer is that we would take it and memorize it and internalize it and then use it actually to pray for others. Put God's blessing, God's name on people by praying for them. Take that image of, of God's signature and say, Lord, you've promised to bring blessing as we, as we pray and as we pray in Christ's name. Well, I'm, I'm putting your, your name, I'm, I'm putting this prayer on this person and I want you to work through it and powerfully bring transformation to their lives. This can be a really helpful little prayer if you've got a, even working through our church prayer diary and you don't know what to pray, you can just pray through each name, saying, Lord, bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them, be gracious unto them, lift up your countenance upon them, give them your peace today. As they go to this appointment, as they go to this surgery, as they face caring for their aging parents, as they face the uncertainties of, of this medical situation they're in, this prayer could be something that could truly help you. It could also help you to grow as an intercessor, someone who prays well for other people. Always remember, God initiated this prayer. He wanted his people to pray it. He wanted to work through prayer to bring blessing on his people. And it's so wonderful because this prayer also tells us so much about the efficacy of prayer. 
God didn't have to do it this way, but he said, I'm going to give this prayer to the priests. They're going to pray this way for the people, and I'm going to work through the prayer to bring blessing, just like he does today. Prayer is meaningful, and it is real, because God works through prayer to accomplish his purposes. We now pray a prayer like this in Christ, knowing that's where all true blessing, grace, and peace flows to people from. And so you can take this, this God-initiated prayer, and you can pray it for others, that they would know the same rest, peace, protection, provision, and presence that you know in the Lord. Remembering always these precious words of Jesus, who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is where we find that deep sense of well-being that we are all searching for. In Christ alone, we are blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that in your word, you have given us prayers. We think of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus was asked to teach us to pray, and he gave us a prayer that we could pray and approach the Father and pray, hallowed be your name, and we could know the blessings of the kingdom as we would build our lives around praying and seeking the Father. And we thank you, Father, for this uh, Old Testament prayer of blessing, just tucked away there, so full of riches. We pray that even this week we would be blessed and helped, that perhaps we would take it on ourselves and say, I'm going to memorize that little prayer. I'm going to pray it for myself. I'm going to pray it for others. But Lord, may we remember the essence of it. It speaks to us of a God who is a source of all blessing. That substance of blessing is this beautiful provision and protection and your presence and your peace, Father. And we remember, Lord, that blessed by you in Christ, we are the people who have the signature of blessing written on our lives, the name of the Lord written on us. And as we read in the book of Revelation, Father, we will have that name written on us forever. We are the Lord's, and we thank you for that. And if there's anyone here this evening and they're they're saying, I can't say that. I can't say that I'm the Lord's. I just pray that even now you'd be at work in them, that they'd turn to Christ and know every spiritual blessing from you through your Son, Father. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond by singing the words of Psalm 65, which is a, a, a beautiful psalm that speaks of the bounty and blessing that God loves to shower upon his people. So as the musicians start, let's stand together and respond in praise.
make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.